Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I thank you for joining us on this fine Monday morning in the studio with us. I'm excited because it's the one, the only, Alison Rudd, fresh off her appearance on uh, on the Neil Ashton Show. <laughs> Down the line gets even better. Speaking to us from lovely downtown Rippenden, it's Ollie Kay. Later on, we'll be discussing the player of the season thus far, plus Jaden Sancho as he prepares to star for England. But there is only one place to start, and that is in Manchester. The champions, so Manchester City, were victorious in the derby at the Etihad with a 3-1 win over United. Uh, Alison, the Sunday Times uh, columnist Graeme Souness seemed to suggest on Sky Sports that Mourinho isn't getting the maximum out of uh, his players. Could someone else do any better? Ooh, we're going for the let's sack Mourinho in the morning line. Sure, um, let's go straight let's, in. Let's, let's do that. Um, I think it's tempting to think someone could... It's interesting, actually, that um, could Quite someone deep, could could someone could someone get something better out of them? Well, they are a team that he's been there long enough now for them to be a team built in his image, I think, and to have learned that you don't you just do what the boss says, and then you might get in the team. Uh, I think if you went through every member of that squad and thought about what you liked and didn't like about them and what Mourinho's got out of them, I would say there's a reasonably high proportion that are better than that. So, yes. So, yes. <laughs> I'm trying to justify the yes. I, 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 there are some very talented players. And he's also, on the flip side of that, I think he's sticking with players that shouldn't be in Manchester United's first team. I think he brought in Matic because Mourinho traditionally likes a player he knows well and he trusts. He's his lieutenant on the field, so to speak. He's always had that. He likes to know he's got someone who's close to him and believes in him, uh, almost to an adoration point of view. Who would you know, who would who would leave a, a club that's succeeding and like Chelsea doing well at Chelsea and go there for him? He likes that that public display of um, loyalty. But I don't know why Matic is continually being picked because. Every player reaches the point where they suddenly go slow and they suddenly are not able to function quite as they did. You know, it's a bit cruel, but he's probably past it in terms of being 
uh, first name on the team sheet for Manchester United. And I think if someone else was in charge, they would not be picking Matic and giving him that much responsibility. Yes, he's experienced and there are young players around him that he could cajole and make better perhaps, but it's not working. So in terms of him not getting the best out of some still exciting players and he's still picking players who are not exciting, then maybe, yeah, the answer's yes, someone else could do better. Ollie, there was this exchange, I think it was on Sky, um, between Sunis and Gary Neville, where Alison answered the question, and she's on Team Sunis. Gary Neville, at least in the clip I saw, managed to totally skirt and dodge. I don't know, did anybody see this? Did he actually ever give an opinion on this at some point? Which I didn't quite understand, because it's a pretty simple question. Could somebody else do a better job with these players than Jose Mourinho, right? And that's Graham Sunis's argument. Can you give us your view, or are you going to do a Gary? No, no, no. I, 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 I agree with Graham Sunis far more vehemently than Alison did. Alison seemed to question herself before uh, before reaching that conclusion. I, I think it's undoubted that, I mean, if you look at Sanchez, you look at Pogba, they're the two obvious ones. You look at Lukaku, uh, you look at Rashford and Martial. Martial's finally having a decent run now, but that's almost by getting back into the team by default. You look at the, the defenders who I'm sure you could make a decent back four out of that, uh, out of all the defenders they've got, and they're underperforming. The midfield is dreadful, I would say, that there's no cohesion, no fluency to what they do. And I'm just talking, I mean, the wins that they've had this season have been about hanging in there and, and, and coming good in the closing stages of games. When Mourinho said yesterday, oh, it would have been great if, if we'd still been in 2-1 and we'd been able to bring Fellaini on and um, a fresh Fellaini rather than having started with Fellaini. And that has seemed to be United's approach so often over the last year or so. Well, throughout Mourinho's time, it's been about making it into a scrap, hanging in there and then coming good in the in the closing stages, not through passing a team to death or passing them into submission or blinding them with creativity, but just hoping that something changes. So I think it's undoubted that, that Mourinho is getting less out of those players than um, that he should be. But I also say how many of the top managers, the elite managers, would really take a look at that squad, the squad that has been built by Moyes, Van Hal, Mourinho, Woodward, and fancy their chances of, of doing something dramatic with it without making big changes. I think that tells you just how sort of mediocre the, the team building has been because they've spent so much money, so much money over the last five years. And the the result, oh, that sounds really harsh, you know, after you know, five days after they beat Juventus, the result is so unimpressive. I've, I, there can't be anything in world football where a team has spent so much and looks so far off elite level. You can give credit for for grinding out results and you're hoping for the lift to come. And, and I think they can still get lifted into the top four. They can still go on a run in the Champions League. You know, you get these second chances time and again, but to kind of move it forward, Alison, can you give me some bright spots, some, some sense that, I mean, I... It's amazing. I was watching this yesterday, and they had this whole conversation on Sky about, well, but, you know, who did he have on the bench that he could have brought on to strengthen the midfield? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe the guy that they spent £50 million on? Fred? I mean, what what's this guy doing there? What's wrong with it? Do you have any intel on Fred? Can you give me some positives here? Some 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 reason, somebody who's about to turn the corner? Well, this and- is, no, well, I mean, you've sort of 
touching on the, one of the most important elements of all this debate about Mourinho is that he, what has characterised latterly his the way he's managed Manchester United is that he's he's scapegoated all the way through. So the, he's he's picking players that on the basis not so much of tactical acumen or how they might fit into his system. It's about their attitude and how they're responding to him and whether they've let him, him, Mourinho, down in their previous performances. So he doesn't forgive easily. So Fred is ostracised because he has a bad performance or, more pertinently, hasn't done exactly what Mourinho thought he should be doing in that instance. He likes the attitude of Matic. That is why he keeps playing him, because he likes the way the guy talks and reacts to him. He gets too easily annoyed by young players who might make a mistake. If he nurtures them, he nurtures them a year too late, as in the case of, of Luke Shaw, for example. It's all It all comes back to being, it's all about Mourinho. So he's picking the team on the basis of how he feels about what each player is giving him and responding to him and his, his man management style. So you have a, a group of players who are all slightly scared. They look like they're slightly scared of doing the wrong thing because they know they will be benched the next time out, um, maybe for a long time. There's very little camaraderie, very little sense of team spirit. In that sense, I can't give you a bright spark, as you call it, because Mourinho snuffs them out too easily. Paul Hurst had a big piece in our, in our, in our paper about Alexis Sanchez on, on Saturday and how he, he wasn't happy, he was, he was frustrated, he misses certain things... Do you think this has anything to do with the fact that he didn't start this game? He just seems such a marginal figure, Ollie. His performances haven't been good enough to to merit starting. And I don't. Th- I mean, the second half of last season when he arrived, his performances weren't good enough then. But but there was a there was a, a desire to keep picking him in that in hope that things improved. And I think that alienated Martial to to an extent because he he was one that had been playing quite well until until um, Sanchez arrived. I think it's got to the point now where even though Rashford isn't really playing well for United, although he's playing well for England, work that one out, um, and even though Martial is only coming back into it the last few weeks, Sanchez is now right at the back of the queue for a place. That reflects his performance level. But I wonder what his performance level reflects. Does it reflect mismanagement or poor attitude on his part or just a complete lack of a relationship between him and his teammates, him and Mourinho. I mean, we as as sort of outsiders don't always see the whole picture, but I'd say that if you're looking for the whole picture or, or, or clues to it, Paul Hurst's piece the other day probably gives more than anything I've, I've ever read. I thought it was absolutely fascinating, some of the details about how miserable he is at the club, and I ended up feeling slightly sorry for him, as, as sorry as you can ever feel for somebody who's earning vast sums while... while not really performing. It's, you know, they, they are human beings, and, and they need to um, they need to feel happy in what they're doing. And he clearly feels utterly miserable and unappreciated in what he's doing. But he doesn't deserve a place in the team at the moment. I wonder if it's got so bad that if Mourinho did get a big wad of cash in January, there'd be players who just didn't want to go to Old Trafford because it just looks a miserable place to be. It's the dream of most players to go to the Theatre of Dreams, but it's not anymore because of the experiences of not just Sanchez, but a lot of players just look so blooming miserable. Well, let's move on to the side that won yesterday, Manchester City, of course. Uh, James Gearbrandt wrote for The Times about the renaissance of the team goal. 44 passes for that third goal from Ilkay Gundogan, a move that lasted almost two minutes. 
Does that goal deserve to be discussed then amongst the all-time great goals, Alison? If you like your passing football, then that was not only beautiful, it was also quite intriguing because it was so patient. It was so patient and so confident. I wouldn't call it the best passing move goal I've ever seen because I don't think United put much pressure on the ball at all. So it did look a bit easy to pass the ball around for the first 20-odd passes at least. It was... It was almost dull, but it was it was slightly out of kilter with what you would expect in a derby match. And I think if you just wanted to sum up the disparity of, of class between the, the two teams, the fact that in a derby game, one team can be so relaxed in their passing, so confident. They seem, they seem to know at some point someone's going to unleash a trigger and pull out the killer pass and they'll be ready for it. To know all that in what's supposed to be a heated game. You know, derby games are supposed to be weird mad things where everyone rush your blood to the head and the crowd get to you to be able to pull that off in that atmosphere I think that in itself is a, is a staggering thing it's the context of it I think you touched upon this Alison I again if the two teams were reversed if Manchester City defended for that stretch the way United defended I would imagine United could string together 44 passes as well you go back to the context of this it's not like the score was 4-1 down and uh, and United had given up. They were 2-1 down. You've got Fellaini on the pitch. Yes, you've been outplayed, but you know it's a derby. You've had dramatic comebacks. You've had late goals. You know that something can happen. You're still in with a shot. And what struck me the most was, you know, when the other team is the opposition and you're behind, you can either, you know, there's different ways. You can either press them. You can, you can sit deep, wait for them to come forward, try to win the ball back. You can foul. There's a whole bunch of things you can do. They didn't do any of that. It's not that the United players were just sitting off them, but whenever they pressed and chased, it was always individuals. And anybody who's played at any level knows that unless pressing is collective, it's not going to work. So I thought this was actually one of, you know, City have done so well this season and they've scored so many great goals. I don't even think that this ranks up there with one of their better goals. This, this looked like they were passing the ball around traffic cones Let's talk broadly then. This is the first time in English top division history that three sides have been unbeaten after 12 games. That's City, Liverpool and Chelsea. And yet with the bookmakers, City are the clear favourites. They are odds on for the title. Chelsea are four points away from City, but they are 20 to 1 with some odds makers. So do we all assume that City are rightly just going to pull away and win the title once again, Alison? No, no, I don't think they're going to pull away. <laughs> is this your Liverpool hat coming out? Well, it's... What's the point of living if you believe that? Is what I would say. Uh, I mean, you've just, you've just. <laughs> Goodness wow. me! No, but you've just explained how this is historic and that there is a cluster at the top, which is good. It's good news for football, and it's up to the other teams to make sure they keep going, they keep winning the games they should win, they get the odd political draw if that's necessary. It's up to them, and and when they do come up against City to again be political get the draw or, or just try I mean it's 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 about not letting City pull away and having belief that things happen in a season and that if you can keep your best players out of the physios room there'll be a bit of luck goes your way perhaps one reason why City will win the title is because of talk like that that the bookies say they are and it feels inevitable and that they do sometimes play football that just looks so different to everybody else's football and that they're, they're a project in peak form streamlined and beautiful and make very few mistakes but they do we, we know they can make mistakes and while those chasing clubs act 
big and proud and dangerous, that might just be the thing that City didn't have last season that, that might unnerve them slightly. It's tight at the top in the sense that Liverpool are two points back, Chelsea four points back, Spurs five points back. But it's also these other teams are going at a really, really high pace. If you compare this to, to, to past years, you've got Spurs in, in fourth place getting something like, like 2.3 points a game, which is unsustainable. Um, or certainly not unsustainable. It's really unprecedented. We have we have a different sort of curve in the Premier League this season in the sense that other teams are, are really high points totals, but equally we would expect them to fall away based on what, what we've seen before. If you look at this season, they've they've been without De Bruyne for almost all of it. Sane has, has not been at the heights of last season. They have very quietly replaced the sort of standard central defensive partnership of last season, which was company in Otamendi in the second half of the campaign, with Stones and Laporte, who have been brilliant, a pair of them. Bernardo Silva has been brilliant. I mean, one of, one of the top players in the Premier League this season without question. Um, it does seem that their ability to just brush off an injury like that to a key player is, is remarkable. Whether they could cope so easily if they lost... Aguero. I mean, I know Gabriel Jesus is a fantastic young player, but he hasn't had a fantastic 12 months. Whether they could cope with an injury to Fernandinho, I don't know. Um, but they look far too strong. They look. I mean, Liverpool, their start has been so impressive in terms of results, but they, they do not look of the same calibre as, as a City. I mean, I know in the um, matches between the two, Liverpool have done well, um, but it seems like Liverpool, even... Even when they're not firing on all cylinders, it feels as if if Liverpool manage to hit peak performance level, they still won't be at City's peak performance level unless something affects City from you know, injuries or long-term injuries all at once, suspensions, etc. But I, I would say it looks like a very, very, very difficult season for um, anyone other than City to win the league. And, and when you talk about teams having started as well as Chelsea, Liverpool and indeed Spurs have. It seems premature and silly to be talking about one-horse race, but I can certainly understand why they are such strong favourites with the bookmakers. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. We've uh, spoken about the continued brilliance of Manchester City without actually talking about the continued brilliance of David Silva. He's seven goals to his name in all competitions and Tom Clark is writing a piece for thetimes.co.uk on players and trends of the season so far. Alison, is David Silva the player of the season so far in this Premier League campaign? Well, there's, I, think, I think we're blessed because there are a lot of candidates and you'd be a fool not to sing the praises of David Silva who probably I'm most impressed by the fact that he hasn't dropped off I think there were people talking about him being at his peak last season and he may not be so significant for City this time around but he he looks just as integral just as lively just as sparky just as beautiful so he's definitely one of them yeah I mean it's when you when you are blessed with so much talent it, it does partly come down to I think what would need to happen to City for them to drop off? Who would they miss the most? I think they could absorb 
David Silva, which is why I wouldn't make him the player of the season so far. But that's not his fault because he's just got so many brilliant teammates. If I was talking about the player of the season, I would err on the side of a player who I don't think a team could absorb the loss of easily. So I'd go more down the Virgil van Dijk road purely for that reason. And I could also bang on about how amazing he is on an individual level. But I think he's more important to his team than any single player in the City side is is, is important to their team. But in terms of, of that ability to have... I mean, to be able to still surprise football fans after the season he had last year, I'd, I would say he's definitely up there. Ollie, who would you be going for then? I would go for Stafford Silva, yeah. I, I, I don't see um, anyone better, more influential. Um, I think Aguero has been extremely good. Bernardo Silva, extremely good. It would nearly all be Manchester City players, which is a level lot. You know, I, I, would, I would certainly have a mention for Van Dijk. I would have a mention for... Hazard in patches, but he, but he's not dominated as many games. But no, it, it would it would be. I mean, Raheem Sterling would be another. But but David, David Silva. There's a thing with with Silva where people say, "Oh, isn't it ridiculous? He's never won Player of the Year. He's never, you know, he's, he's never done this. Has he never even been in a PFA team of the season or something like that, or or happened until last season, or maybe once or twice? But he has been underappreciated." over the course of his career in England, I would agree with that. But he has never been anything like as effective and brilliant, consistently brilliant and influential as he is now under Guardiola. Under Mancini and Pellegrini, he was a, he was a fantastically talented sort of number 10 or sometimes wide player. But he didn't dominate match after match after match like he's doing now as a, as a central midfielder under, under Guardiola. I think when people talk about, oh, Guardiola inherited all these great players, silver, etc., you look at the size of the improvement he has made because that last season under under Pellegrini he had his moments, but he was he was nowhere near the level he's at, he's at now. Incredible performances. So I would say David Silva first. I would maybe say Bernardo Silva second at the moment. I would struggle to award a player of the season award to anybody at Manchester City. Frankly, I take the points that David Silva. I think one of the big differences is in the past before Pat he would often have a drop-off February, March, where he just wasn't on the level he was at before. And the last couple of years, he's maintained that level throughout. And, and as Ollie said, it gotten even better. But I just think the way Pep plays is so much about the collective. And this is an individual award. It just doesn't really sit right with me because it's so hard to separate what David Silva does with the fact that he has so many tremendous options around him, with the fact that there's such a a distinct way of playing that comes from the manager. Yes, is he an incredible individual talent? Yeah, but so are so many other City players, and it really is so much about the collective. If you take this to mean which player is most important to his team and which would you most struggle to, to replace, then certainly among the top teams, I think Van Dijk and, and Hazard are more important to their respective sides than, than David Silva is, is the City. So I think it comes down to how you look at it. We should give a shout-out to Callum Wilson as well, <laughs> just because he's on this list. And while we're showing Bournemouth some love, that guy Brooks, what a technically gifted player he is. And he's so smart. And I know, I'm not saying he's player of the season. I just want to give him a shout-out because we haven't mentioned him. In fact, why don't we take this opportunity to give a shout-out to a player from outside the top six that we all really like. Or top seven. That's Everton, sorry. But, you know, Everton have, have enough good big-name players. Alison? Uh, practically anybody in the uh, Wolves team. 
was I was a. You um, can pick one. Uh, Come on, Ruben Nevis, make it easy. Okay. It's obvious. Yeah, no, he he he. You know, he did get see, a joint high mark if, from if, me. Yesterday. If you parachuted Ruben, if Ruben Nevis stepped in for David Silva, I know they they do things a little differently, right? Yeah. But if he stepped into this, I have no doubt he'd work beautifully. <laughs> exactly, he's he's incredible. Uh, Ollie. Can I mention books? I mean, it's, it's, no, I already I, mentioned books. I know, I know you have, but it's, but it, I mean, you, you, you can mention Chilwell. I mentioned who? Chilwell. Oh, Chilwell. <laughs> um, no, it, it, it doesn't. Yeah, Chilwell is a very competent left back, but but look, Brooks, he's playing so well that it's only a matter of time before some ill-informed pundit suggests the guys in the England squad. Um, because obviously he's English born, he's born in Warrington, uh, but uh, he's one of those who's slipped through the net and has got seven caps for Wales and is um, is never going to play for England. Um, but he looks capable of of performing, you know, as a very good player in the Premier League. And, and Pereira at Watford is is one I would say that has um, impressed. But but looking at Bournemouth, you know, Brooks and, and Wilson and players like that, that to me is is a more encouraging story for English football. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's move on to the big game in Germany that involved a former Manchester City player. Uh, the Bundesliga leaders Borussia Dortmund twice came from behind to beat uh, the champions Bayern Munich 3-2. It was another showcase for the talents of Jadon Sancho, who played the full 90 minutes that ahead of England duty this week. He's uh, scored four goals, has six assists in 11 Bundesliga appearances, just 18 years old. So how excited should England fans be about Sancho, Alison? If you're an England fan, you should have looked at that clip which has gone viral of him bursting past Mats Hummels, who I'm a huge fan of and wanted him at Liverpool. Not anymore. Hummels got taken off. I mean, it's 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 a clip that's funny because Mats Hummels is a World Cup winner and a, a bit of a cult figure. Clearly, an 18-year-old's going to beat him for pace. That's not so surprising. But it's just it just that clip sums up the confidence of a teenager who, as we've spoken about before, had the guts to go on an adventure, go abroad, 
think that his career would be better in a different environment and it's come off for him and I think people are very impressed with just the maturity of his play if he's given a chance he takes it he was integral to Dortmund winning and I think life's about momentum and if you if you've got anything about you as a manager you take that fact that that young player has momentum and you play him for his country and keep it going I'm struck by I was having this conversation with one of our bosses yesterday and uh, I want to get your take on this because I mean for me the greatest English talent that's that's come out in the last couple of years is, is Raheem Sterling Sancho at 18 I think is well ahead of where Sterling was at 18 and obviously Sterling was already playing first team football and contributing and, and whatever else but this guy is just such a smart player. In terms of his development, he's not just a guy who's a tremendous athlete and a great dribbler and technically gifted. He's a guy who makes the right decisions. His movement off the ball, especially when um, when the other team are in possession, you know, he, he has such a presence about him. Ali, from what you've seen, how, how do you compare him to Sterling at the same age? And is it kind of a failure of English football that he's no longer there? Or is it actually a success? Well, every time I watch him, it seems that even when he's not on the ball an awful lot in a game, you know that when he gets the ball, he's going to do something. And be, I'm not talking about a trick. I'm talking about doing something extremely effective and, and stretch the play and, and, and make a difference. And that is something you don't see many sub-23, 24-year-olds doing in European football. Do you? Because going back to the second point, it, it, about is it a failure of, of English football? I wonder, I mean... We don't know how much football he would have had had he stayed at Manchester City. I suspect around a similar amount to, to what Phil Foden has had. And that's it just isn't enough for a player of that type who's clearly so ready and is more physically um, developed than, than Phil Foden, more ready to play elite football um, than, than Phil Foden is. So I, I think it's great that he was so incredibly impatient Um and and that he and, and that he left City thinking right I need to test myself here and that he he made the right choice he he obviously had he was a young man in a hurry because he had done similar at Watford he, he got to a point at, at Watford in their academy and thought I need to go to a bigger club all the big clubs were after him he went to Manchester City very quickly he he decided I need to change you know he obviously left for Dortmund and it all sounds very headstrong very impetuous the type of thing that we've quite often criticised young players for, but whether by good luck or by extremely good management, he has ended up at a club which really does promote and encourage young talent of that type. And he's just absolutely thriving and it's brilliant to see. And I hope other young players are equally willing to um, broaden their horizons rather than just sort of sitting on a bench every few weeks and hoping to get a game in the Carabao Cup. England at the World Cup lacked that creative midfielder. That was one of the bigger problems for England in Russia. So could Sancho be the one to fulfil that, Alison? I don't think he's that sort of player. He's more he's more like a sub for Sterling in a way. He's more he's more about his pace and yeah, he has he has composure and ability to spot the right ball. But I wouldn't what what England lack is that sort of. Perlow type figure who sits and assesses what's going on and uses uses their brain 
rather than their youthful pace. So I, I think he'd be a huge asset to England, but not he wouldn't solve that particular problem. Well, we all know what the answer is, isn't it? Because from what's going to happen at um, Wembley, the answer's um, Wayne Rooney. It's going to be it's going to be the future for England. It is time now for our weekly predictions game where Gab and I pick five fixtures and try to correctly guess the results. So how did we get on, Gab? Well, in the early kickoff on Saturday, Natalie went for a 1-1 draw between Cardiff and Brighton. Come on, man. I had faith in my main man, Neil Warnock. The ever so charismatic Neil Warnock. And the even more charismatic Sol Bamba. And I correctly predicted a win for the Bluebirds onwards and upwards. And by the way, did you see that wise Mr. Vincent Tan in the stadium, how happy he looked? <laughs> I don't even think, was he, was he wearing the gloves he normally wears? I always wonder, like, does he not like, is there a bit of the Howard Hughes in him? It, 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 maybe so. Oh. Maybe so. Okay. All right. So you got that one right. But in the late kickoff, uh, Gab, you fancied Palace to get something out of their game with uh, Tottenham. You went for a draw, but I picked a resilient Spurs and that victory that they earned as well. I, I picked that. Not the scoreline, but but uh, that they would win anyway. Roy Hodgson would probably say it should have been a draw. <laughs> mighty. Okay, then. Uh, well, we both picked City in the Manchester derby. That was hard. Yeah, and we both picked Atletico Madrid to win, although we didn't foresee a goal fest as they overcame Athletic Bilbao 3-2. So we were all square, and it all came down to my sweet spot. Yes, that's right. The <laughs> FA Cup first-round match between something called Metropolitan Police, who, as I discovered, aren't actually all cops. They're just random footballers. And uh, Newport County. Natalie, silly her, believes in fairy tales and thought there might be a cup shock. I knew that this wasn't going to happen unless the uh, cops at pitch side were going to get their tasers out and tase the entire Newport defense. Uh, in fact, not only did I pick uh, Newport correctly, I got the exact score. A 2-0 win for the Welsh Wonders. And I'm told there's very good surfing in Newport as well. We might have been through this last week. I think but we did. I tend to repeat myself. <laughs> so that means that I've reduced the deficit. It's now Natalie 6, gap 5 this season. Yeah, okay. Right, enough predictions for now. How about some quick hits? Uh, some of us, well, me, have been very harsh on Wolves this season. <laughs> But I did feel a glimmer of sympathy for how they dropped points in their last two games, the home defeat to Spurs and the draw at Arsenal on Sunday. Allison, am I right? And why have Arsenal yet to go into halftime with the lead this season? It's kind of weird, right? Bernino was asked about that yesterday and he, well, he didn't really know, but he, he suggested it might be that Arsenal were nervous when they start games, which is interesting in itself. Uh, he played well overall. He did but, play um, well. That might mean the team are still getting used to the new regime and the differences and so you start the game just trying to remember what you've been told in training and you're not not sort of relaxed into it and then once you have to forget about the nuances and just play football uh, it it, it slides into action and also it helps I think that the Arsenal fans are really good where they didn't used to be they are not getting on their backs so they go behind but there's no no sense of negativity and I know you've gone ping but I just want to say I really 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 enjoyed the game at the Emirates and Wolves were so impressive in every respect they were solid and dogged but they were also full of pace and endeavour it was it was a privilege to watch them live that's the first time I've seen them live in the Premier League this season so Wolves got screwed yeah Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Alison, we know you're a Liverpool fan. 
And perhaps you'll have a little soft spot for Fulham. You know me so well. I know. Uh, did you see baby steps of progress for the cottages at Anfield at the weekend? And is the width of Mitrovic's shoulder really going to cost you Kanovic's job? No, not in the short term. I might look stupid. I'll probably get sacked now. But Shad Khan, owner of Fulham, he, he, he loves Jukanovic and he will see that performance as an improvement you know I think Klopp helped enormously by saying how much he admired Mitrovic's hold at play and he is so good at that and Fulham he hasn't been involved enough for Fulham in their successive defeats if they can build on those baby steps as you call it there there is some hope that hope will keep Djukanovic in a job at least in the short term my man Klopp also pointed out yeah you're playing against a team with five centre backs so what do you expect yeah Nice one there. Baby steps, my rear end. <laughs> Natalie, one for you. I understand there are new leaders in the championship. Uh, who are they and how did they do it? Yes. Is it a team I've heard of? You have, because they were in the Premier League not so long ago. Norwich. They are top of the table after their fifth straight win. They are two points clear of second place. James in Madison used to play for them. Indeed. Not the US president, but the uh, no. Leicester. Yes, indeed, yes. Um, and uh, they went top of the championship after a seven-goal thriller with Millwall at Carrow Road. It was a game with so many twists and turns, uh, the lead exchanging hands several times as well. Four of the goals were scored in an incredible final 16 minutes. Uh, with 89 minutes gone, Norwich were 3-2 down, but Daniel Farkas side scored two goals in added on time uh, from Jordan Rhodes and Timu Puki's 97th minute winner. Uh, was the one that uh, sealed the three points for Norwich. I saw them a few weeks ago when they played Bournemouth in the League Cup and I was really impressed with their possession play. They were very good. And it's no surprise to see them top of the championship. How can you not love a team with Pookie on the I know, on the, what on a the great field name. and Farka on the bench? I mean, <laughs> is, is the, I'm assuming there's an Ikea over in East Anglia, right? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe so. But there you go. Yeah, Norwich, top of the championship, new leaders. Uh, Alison. Chelsea are held to a goalless draw by Everton, but uh, was it two points dropped or one point gained from Maurizio Sarri? And does the fact that, as James Gearbrandt writes today, he beats Frank Clark's 24-year-old Premier League record for most games unbeaten to start a season as a new manager impress you at all? Yeah, of course it impresses me. Uh, Chelsea don't always impress me. Uh, I had the misfortune to be in Minsk in the fog and the cold to watch a game that made me seriously doubt why I was doing the job I was doing because I wasn't enjoying it and I usually enjoy every match I see. Uh, but they get they get through it. They have resilience. I think he's a really really interesting coach. Working as a as a club which has high high demands and you know it's quite a political club and they get rid of managers at the drop of a hat. He doesn't seem to care about what might be around the next corner. He really believes he knows what he's doing. Players love him. Yeah, I am impressed with Chelsea. Somebody named Simon Hooper took charge of Southampton and Watford and managed to displease both teams. Uh, Alison, it made for humorous rant from Charlie Austin, which would be less funny if it costs his manager's job. And of course, Watford had a major penalty appeal turned down as well. Since you're a qualified referee, what would you say to Hoops if you were Mike Riley? Should you get coddly with him and say everybody is a bad day at the office, don't despair, you're a great referee? Or would you say, you know what, people probably don't want to see you again for a long time, <laughs> so here's some Vauxhall conference or whatever the hell it's called today? Uh, he needs some serious debriefing, um, especially if, if he did actually think that Yoshida had scored that goal. Because, <laughs> he points to his bald head. Because, well, because he didn't. And, and if you're starting to see 
hallucinations, then then maybe you need to you just need a break. But he has assistance too. Do, if, don't they pay attention to the game? But in terms of disallowing the goal because Yoshida was interfering with play, I think you can make a strong argument to say he was interfering with play. And even if VAR had been in use and he'd looked at it again, he might still have decided he should disallow the goal. I, I don't think that was the most ridiculous decision at all. It's down to interpretation. If I'd been refereeing, I would have disallowed it. I would have felt I would have felt the keeper was in a difficult situation there. More importantly, the penalty he, he didn't see, that was a very, very clear-cut um, penalty decision. I mean, don't get rid of these referees. There are there's very few of them coming through. Oh, just 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 make sure that he, you know you learn from your mistakes and you're better next time around. And if you dare to go out on the pitch again, that means you've got what it takes to be a good referee because you you can take the stick. He's probably the first to feel terrible about this. So hoops, if you're listening, don't give up. Don't Hang give in up. there. Don't give use up. this as a learning opportunity. Okay, Gab, one for you. So many huge games this weekend around the world. We have Borussia Dortmund versus Bayern in Germany, Milan, Juventus in Italy, Boca versus River Plate in South America, as well as the Asian Champions League final. So can you sum it all up for us in 30 seconds or less? Not just I'll give you a bonus. Barcelona giving up four goals uh, at home for the first time in 15 years. Uh, Borussia Dortmund, uh, as we said, came back twice. There's a great column on it uh, in uh, in the game uh, this week. Bayern, all of a sudden, they look old. They look like a bunch of guys playing on reputation. People have been saying this for a while. Juventus, no fuss, no muss, and their tuna win over Milan as Gonzalo Higuain misses a penalty. A Boca and River, phenomenal spectacle. You should watch the return leg at El Monumental. It finished 2-2. Boca probably will feel that they should have won this game. River will like their chances also because they've got some guys who are unavailable coming back. And the Asian Champions League final, all hail, Kashiwa Antlers, champions of Asia. But this was relevant because they played in Tehran. Uh, they beat Persepolis, or they drew 0-0 against Persepolis, winning 2-0 on aggregate. But it's relevant because it's the first time in nearly 40 years that women were allowed to legally watch live football. They've been doing it illegally for a long time. There's these hilarious videos of women sneaking in with fake beards and stuff. Um, But, you know, this, I think, is progress. Very much so. Okay, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Alison Rudd and Oliver Kay. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times. Yes, you get that too. And you can enjoy award-winning journalism online and also on your smartphone or tablet. It's just one pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Thursday. Speak to you then. The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Hold up. 